Turn up your volume. Your volume. Because you're about to listen to the Sick Podcast. With Tony Maradero. 55 seconds left in the penalty, a minute and 27 seconds left in regulation time. Boston 4, Montreal 3. Lafleur coming out rather gingerly on the right side. He gives it into Lemaire back to Lafleur. Oh! The sickest Montreal Canadiens podcast. <laughs> You're in the ball. Sports entertainment like no other. Rejoint, on lui fait perdre la rondelle une passe devant. Et c'est la victoire des Canadiens. You found the dogs. John, you found the dogs. He found the dogs. And all together, they worked a young team to the top. And now, a 24th Stanley Cup banner will hang from the rafters of the famous forum in Montreal. The Canadians win the Stanley Cup. Brought to you by Energy Transportation Group. Driven to be different. TV. Embrace your true nature. And Playground. Your premier gaming destination. It's going to be sick. Marinaro on this Thursday, February 29. And man, what an exciting game that was by the Montreal Canadiens and the Florida Panthers tonight. It was absolutely entertaining. It was something to watch. And uh, you got to give the Canadians credit for fighting. I mean, clearly they went up against a formidable opponent, arguably the best team in the National Hockey League, or certainly in that conversation. And the Canadians uh, fought with the Florida Panthers and gave them everything they can handle. At one point, I think they surprised a lot of people, not only the Florida Panthers, but even even members of the fan base. We're going to talk about it, of course, because there's so much that happened in this hockey game, but not before I talk to you about Energy Transportation Group, not before I talk to you about La Bitta TV, and not before I talk to you about Playground. So let's go with Energy Transportation Group, a partner and sponsor, and we very much appreciate the support, a leading full-service logistics provider serving all of North America. They are driven to be different. Also, brewed in Quebec and a winner of a dozen international awards, La Bitta TV offers quality microbrewery beers made with premium ingredients for everyone's taste. La Bitta TV, embrace your true nature. And Playground, discover a world of luxury at Playground. Explore their new 30,000-square-foot expansion with thrilling games, gourmet dining, and live entertainment located just over the Mercier Bridge. Only minutes from downtown Montreal Playground. Playground experience the strip without the trip. I always love talking to this gentleman. And every time I reach out to him and I, and I say, Pierre, it would be an honor if you could join me tonight. Uh, it takes him half a second to respond and say, uh, I'll, I, I'd love to. So we thank him very much. Pierre McGuire. Good evening, Pierre. How you doing, Tony? I'm doing extremely well. Listen, I, I really enjoyed the hockey game, Pierre. I thought it was extremely entertaining. I'll, I'll go as far as to say that it had almost pretty much everything. Well, it was a playoff game, and I would agree with you 100%. You had great goaltending at both ends. Stolars really impressed me in this game for the Florida Panthers, and I thought Montembeau in the second period was phenomenal. Uh, look at Slavkoski, look at Suzuki, look at Caulfield, that line in particular. Uh, I love the way Suzuki dominated the puck. There was energy. There was passion. There was big shot blocks. There were big hits. I hope Brendan Gallagher's okay, Tony, on yeah. that reverse that he got from Rodriguez. Uh, but all in all, that, that was a tremendous playoff game, style playoff game, I should say. Uh, but it was fun to watch, and I really enjoyed it. Pierre, when um, Jeff Gordon, Kent Hughes, Marty St. Louis, they talk about the culture. I mean, they don't hold back. They let everyone know that they are obviously in a rebuild, but the goal is to get 
better individually, collectively, as a group and as a team with each and every game. And, um, you know, they, they don't, they don't want to roll over and die. They want to fight. And, you know, 60 games into the season, when if you take a look at the standings, I mean, clearly I don't think anyone's betting on the Montreal Canadiens to make the playoffs this year. This is the effort that they give Marty St. Louis and they give the organization. Uh, what's the conversation that Kent Hughes and Jeff Gordon are having right now? Uh, they're probably identifying who they think their core guys are going forward. They're probably trying to evaluate, you know, who has an organizational need for some of the players that maybe don't, they don't consider core players. Um, and then, you know, Kent obviously works the phones. I would imagine it's Kent working the phones and Jeff there supporting him. You can't have too many people, you know, making different calls all over the league because if you do, you send mixed messages around the league. So I'd imagine that Kent's probably working the phones. But I think the biggest thing for them right now, I think they've identified, Tony, their core players and because of that, um, they know who's not going to be part of the program going forward and who needs to be part of the program going forward. Pierre, they must be thrilled with Nick Suzuki. Um, oh. You know, he, he was acquired, of course, for Max Pacioretty, uh, along with Thomas Tatar and the pick who I think happened to be Norlander, if memory serves me well. Anyway, yeah. long story short, when Kent Hughes and Jeff Gordon arrived here, they both said that they didn't know much about Suzuki. Uh, they looked at the contract that he was given, an eight-year deal at $7.875 million, and they said, well, we don't know a lot about this player. And to tell you the truth, Mark Bergevin took a little bit of heat because a lot of people thought that he gave him that contract way too soon before Suzuki could answer any questions. Well, Pierre, um, for those who were wondering if Nick Suzuki is a number one centerman, they can stop asking them that question. If they haven't already... I would hope after tonight they have Nick Suzuki now has uh, 59 points in 59 games. What a performance tonight. Paul Maurice said before the game, this kid has some Barkov in him. Pierre, this kid's got some Barkov in him. He does. The only thing that's different, he doesn't have Barkov size. And maybe he doesn't have Barkov's penalty killing skills. Barkov's one of the elite penalty killers in the league. He really is. Uh, and I know you don't get extra style points for being a penalty killer, but he's that good. But there's a lot of similarities in terms of the creativity of their games. The thing about Nick now, you see, and I talked about it, Tony, when you, we opened up here, his ability to dominate the puck is making a huge difference. And it's allowing Slavkovsky to be better. It's allowing Caulfield to be better. And it's really helped the Canadians' power play be better. You know, Pierre, uh, I, I put together a little bit of um... – I did a little bit of homework while the game was going on, and and I've just sent it over to Anello and Sammy, and they're going to bring it up in just a second. Uh, but once again, if Nick Suzuki hasn't convinced everyone with his play, he is in very elite company right now when it comes to centers in the National Hockey League in terms of goals scored and in terms of points thus far this season for all players who have played center now. Uh, you know, if you go to NHL.com, you're going to see that they have Reinhardt and they have Verhage in the centers category. But the reality is, is that they're playing wing with Barkov as their center. So you can forget about, you know, they got Matthew Barzal as a center. But the reality is, is that Barzal is playing right wing on a line with Bo Horvat. You'll correct me if I'm wrong. So no, you're there's, some, on right now. Yeah, you're there, there's on. some centers that are ahead of Suzuki, but they're they're playing wing this year. So. Agnello and Sammy, I sent it to you. I don't know if you can bring it up, but for all the players who have played center 
thus far this season. Guess how many, Pierre, have more goals than Suzuki? And guess how many have more points than Suzuki? There you have it. You'll yeah. excuse the handwriting. I mean, it's not the greatest, <laughs> but I don't think it's the worst either. No, it's not. But Only- I was going to say McKinnon, Matthews, and uh, JT Miller had to be up there. So obviously that's where it is. And you look at that, that's, that's a murderer's role of players. Uh, that he's in company with. So, I mean, that's that's really impressive. Um, I think the biggest thing on that list, when you look at it, Sidney Crosby's obviously having an unbelievable season in Pittsburgh. Um, yeah. And you look at Robert Thomas as a player that not a lot of people really are familiar with, uh, but Robert Thomas, a guy that's having an unbelievable year as well in St. Louis. So I'm not yeah. surprised by that list, um, and I'm not surprised that Nick's in that company because that's how he's carried himself all year, Tony, he really has. Yeah. Pierre, for the benefit of those who will be listening on Google or Apple and Spotify and will not be seeing the list that we just put up, I'm going to read it out. Centers with more points than Nick Suzuki thus far this season. One, McKinnon. Two, McDavid. Three, JT Miller. Four, Austin Matthews. Five, Elias Pettersson. Six, Leon Dreisaitl. Seven, Robert Thomas. Eight, Braden Point. Nine, Sidney Crosby. Ten, Sebastian Ajo. Centers with more goals this season than Suzuki. Also 10 of them. One, Austin Matthews. Two, Nathan McK- uh, Nate McKinnon. Three, Sidney Crosby. Four, Braden Point. Five, JT Miller. Six, Elias Pettersson. Seven, Leon Dreisaitl. Eight, Joel Erickson Eck. Nine, Dylan Larkin. Ten, Brock Nelson. Pierre, once again, he is an elite company. Elite. Oh, yeah. oh super elite. You know, you were talking about that Islanders line with Bo Horvat and, and Barzell. The other player on that line is is Brock Nelson that you're talking about. So what Patrick Waugh did, he put three center icemen together, uh, but two of them are playing on the wing. So, again, that list is I know they're centermen, but when you look yeah. at it, uh, I'm not surprised at all, again, with Suzuki's performance um, and where he rates with the top players in the league. And he is a number one center. The big thing for the Canadians – is getting Kirby Doc back. And I think you would agree with that, Tony. And so that yes. changes the landscape for everybody in the organization up front. It makes it an easier game maybe even for Nick to play next year because uh, Slavkovsky is going to be better. Caulfield should be more comfortable. And, and getting Doc back really changes the dynamic for the Canadians and makes Nick a better player. Pierre, you're spot on to bring that up, actually, that Brock Nelson is playing left wing on that line, but I put him in that center category in terms of goals because I think he's played 90, 95% of his season at center, right? And Patrick made the change just recently. All right, okay, so uh, what's what's the ceiling now for Suzuki? I mean, there's a trend here, right? 41 points in his first season in 70-odd games, 41 points, I think, in like 56 games, 61 points the season after, 66 points last year. He's on pace to have 82 points this season. Mm -hmm. Uh, We know he's a player that hit 100 points one season and almost 100 points in two other seasons in junior hockey. Can Nick Suzuki hit those numbers at the NHL level? I think he can. I think one of the things that's going to change, too, for Montreal, the power play prowess is going to be even better when certain players get more mature. And I know people have this great debate going on about Lane Hudson. I think when Lane Hudson gets to Montreal, the power play gets even better 
Um, and that's a positive thing for Nick Suzuki because you're going to start stockpiling points in the power play. And if they could ever get that power play, Tony, let's just say humming at around 24 to 27%, Suzuki's going to be a big part of it. And that's going to just lead to more points. And I would say 90 to 100 points is not a foreign concept for Nick Suzuki, I don't think. It's unreal, really. Okay, let's let's take a look at the lineup here, if we can, for both teams. Okay, so Suzuki in between. Caulfield playing his off wing as he has all season with Slavkowski playing his off wing. Newhook in between Armia on his right and Joshua Roy on his left. Evans with Anderson on his right and Gallagher on his left and Colin White centering Jesse Yulanen on his right and Tanner Pearson on his left. On defense, Matheson Gouley, Jacki Savard, Harris Kovacevic, and Samuel Montambo is in goal. Pierre, on a night like tonight where... It's a close game and you're trying to make a statement and you obviously want to win this game because of that culture that we talked about, even though, you know, I'm thinking in the back of my head, rebuild, rebuild, rebuild. And I think every loss is a win tomorrow. But anyway, that's just me. And I know uh, (laughs) hockey players and organizations don't think this way, but mind you, the Chicago Blackhawks did a year ago, but. (laughs) Um, so with the exception of tonight's game, and I know it was a big game for Mike Matheson. He's going up against the team that drafted him. Matheson played 27 and a half minutes tonight. Let's forget about tonight's game for a second, but he plays 25, 26 minutes every night in a year. That's a rebuild for a player that you've said on this podcast, you not only want to see him finish off the rest of his contract, a couple of remaining years, it would be a player that you would actually extend when his contract is up because it's a player who can say to other players, I'm from Montreal. I wasn't drafted by this team. You know, I I had an experience with a couple of other teams, but a trade to Montreal was the greatest thing that happened to me. And it could be, you know, something that other players can look at around the league. But in a rebuild year for a player that you'd like to, have be part of the equation for at least a couple of years. Does he not play too much? Well, I've been saying that for a while. Um, and I think part of it is because they have no other direction to go in, in terms of running the power play. And a lot of those extra minutes are power play minutes. And that's why I think when Lane Hudson gets here, whether the Canadians play 11 forwards and 7D once Lane Hudson gets to Montreal, or whether they go 12 and 6, I, I don't know what their schematic will be, Tony. But I do think when he does get here, that will take a lot of those extra minutes away from Mike. And then I think you're going to see him more around 23, 24, which as an elite skater, and Mike is an elite skater, that's not an overbearing kind of amount of time for him. It just isn't. But it's those extra minutes. Once you start pushing over 27, getting to 30, that's hard to do if you're playing three and four nights. It's just really, really hard to do. So as a guy who uh, probably has a parking reserved for him at uh, at games with BU uh, and uh, in all those games, of course, uh, in, in NCAA and in Boston with BU and BC and, and all those good teams, you have seen Lane Hudson a lot. We know that. You've told mm-hmm. us. Um, so, Mike, you know, he's going to arrive here at some point here at the end of the season. You just yeah. talked about schematics. Would you go with an 11-7 and primarily use Lane Hudson on the power play and ease him into the National Hockey League? Or would you go with a 12-6 and throw him into the lines then? No, I would go with 11-7. I would not put him in the lines then because he's not physically big enough to go into the lines then right now. And and if he's got a 
fundamental flaw right now. It's just not heavy enough. Um, and he doesn't defend enough with his feet. He needs to defend more with his feet and less with his upper body. And he will learn that um, as he's around the guys in practice more and more because you're going to see the size difference. And college hockey players, especially the league he plays in hockey, there are a lot of big people, a lot of big people. But he's not dominating defensively. He dominates coming out of his own zone. He dominates through the neutral zone, and he dominates on the offensive side of the blue line, especially on the power play. Those are his strengths. I'd be shocked uh, if they threw him into the Lions then. I really wouldn't. I think Kent and Jeff have probably, you know, look at Kent's son plays at BU, and Jeff's son is on the roster at BU. So both those fellas running the Montreal Canadiens, they're seeing Boston University more than anybody. Maybe not more than I am, but they're seeing them enough. Don't worry. <laughs> Pierre, let's take a look at the score sheet. Actually, we'll bring up the Florida Panthers uh, lineup. Why don't we do that? Uh, I think we have it. Let's bring it up right now. There we go. Okay, so Barkov in between, Verhage on his left and Reinhardt on his right. Uh, Bennett with uh, Kachuk on his right and Cousins on his left. Lundell with Rodriguez and Lostarainen. And Stenland with Lomberg on his left and Lockwood on his right. Uh, Forsling, Ekblad, Mikola, Montour, uh, and... um, Oliver Ekman Larson with Kulikov and Stolars in goal. All right, we'll take a look at the uh, the score sheet now, um, and we'll bring that up. Okay, Barkov first period. Pierre, uh, you saw it. Stolars clears the puck. I believe it goes off the boards, and Caden Gooley, who's playing right defense, has a decision to make, and he says, "You know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna force Carter Verhage." What a great play by Carter Verhage, who redirects it with his left leg over to Reinhardt, who goes on a two-on-one with Barkov. Matheson's unable to intercept the pass. Goes to Barkov, a quick wrister, beats Montembeau. Uh, talk to me about the, the, the astute play by Verhage, the decision from Gouli to try and cut it off and, and try and pinch there, and how difficult the task it is for Gooley, a left-handed defenseman, still relatively young in this league, to play the right side? Well, I'll talk about Gooley first. I I thought outside of a couple foibles uh, early in the game, he was outstanding. Shot blocking, penalty killing, uh, just making the right more times than not. The biggest thing, and you just touched on it, Tony, very appropriately so, being a left shot playing on the right side, not an easy thing. Um, I, I think he has had a tremendous year in the league. Um, but the thing about that play you're talking about, Carter Verhage is a way unsung hero in the league. Uh, not talked about nearly enough. You know, you talk to people in Toronto where he was originally drafted, they'd love to have Carter Verhage back, but they don't. Talk to the people in Tampa where he's part of a Stanley Cup winning team. They'd love to have him back, but they don't because he was an f- unrestricted free agent and Florida was wise enough to sign him. Tampa couldn't afford him, so he wasn't there for the second cup. All I'll say is this. The big thing about Florida is players like that. Verhage's got speed. Look at the reclamation project that is Sam Reinhart and what he's been able to do. Look at Luster Reinen and what he's done there. Um, You know, you can look around Brandon Montour and what he's done, another reclamation project. Kid that started his career in Anaheim, started actually UMass Amherst. So I can go down the line. They've done a really nice job making players better at the NHL level, and that's something that I think Montreal really wants to try to get to as well. Does Reinhardt remind you of Pavelski? Yes or no? Or uh, yeah, you know, the only, the only difference is I think Reinhardt's a better skater. 
than Joe. Um, I don't know if he's got the same ability to chip pucks. Joe, I, I'm not sure we've seen since Steve Shutt probably a guy that could chip pucks down low like Joe Pavelski. I know there have been a lot of guys like Johan Franz and Ryan Smith, you know, guys that were coming up, Thomas Holmstrom in Detroit. But I'm not sure the league's ever seen a guy like Joe Pavelski do that. I don't think Reinhardt can do it as well, but Reinhardt skates better and is a bigger player than Joe Pavelski. He's really developed a shot and a knack for goal, though. It's it's really, really <laughs> impressed me. It's unbelievable. Okay, Nick Suzuki ties this game after Paul Maurice says he's got a little bit of Barkov in him, and Barkov puts Florida up one nothing. Nick Suzuki says, here, this one's for your coach. Thank you for the compliment. Pierre, what a stretch pass by Arbor Jackai, yes. who don't look now, but Jackai has gone from 10 minutes when he was recalled from the Laval Rocket to 19 minutes and three seconds tonight. Jackai, who scored a couple of goals as of late. Jackai, who clocked 107 mile per hour slap shot a couple of days ago at the Canadians' uh, uh, skills competition. Uh, Arbor Jackai has got some offensive instincts in him. I mean, that was a great pass. It was a great pass and way undervalued the job that he did tonight on Matthew Kachuk. That there were some titanic battles in the slot uh, between Jack Eye and Kachuk, and Kachuk's one of the toughest guys in the league to handle in that area without taking a penalty. Uh, it's not that long ago where Arbor Jack Eye was in trouble with the coaching staff in Montreal because of all the penalties that he took, Tony. And all of a sudden, with a little bit of coaching, a little bit of patience, a trip down to the American Hockey League. You get a little diesel fume, you get a little fast food in you, and all of a sudden you realize, you know, riding on charter aircraft, staying in the four seasons is a whole lot better than riding on the bus. And so that's all part of a young player learning. And I think the biggest thing with Arbor now, you are, you are correct about the offense. It's unsung for sure uh, because the shot's so darn lethal and so hard. It's, it's unbelievable. Uh, but it's what he did tonight that impressed me the most was not taking penalties, and making sure that it was a rough night for uh, Keith Kuch or for Kachuk, sorry, Matthew Kachuk. I'm gonna Matthew, yeah, yeah, Matthew. Um, so yeah, no, it was, it was impressive, very impressive. Pierre, when a player isn't drafted, like Jack, I wasn't drafted, and obviously there have been some players who were never drafted who turned out to be Hall of Famers, and one is coaching the Montreal Canadiens. All right. But with all due respect, Arbor, Jack Guy clearly, you know, uh, you know, he doesn't have Jonathan Marcheseau, I, I believe, was not drafted, correct? Was he not an undrafted player? Uh Marcheseau, I don't believe was. He went as a free agent to Columbus. Yeah, okay. So, you know, some players have not been drafted, went on to have great careers. But when when you talk about Jack Guy and when he was going through bad periods, some would say, well, you know, there's a reason why he wasn't drafted. Then he goes through some good periods, and some will still say, well, he's not that good because if he would have been good, he would have been drafted, and he wasn't. But, like, do you, how much stock do you put into that exactly? Like, when you're, you're you know, Jack guy's still very young. We don't know what his ceiling is. Uh, the fact that he was never drafted, does that give you like a, a preconceived uh, opinion that his ceiling won't be very high or you don't put any stock into that because late bloomer and everyone develops at different rates? Everybody develops at different rates. I don't put any stock in that at all. There's a guy you were talking about, a Hall of Famer that's coaching the Montreal Games. How was Adam Oates as a Hall of Famer? Was he any good? Amazing. 
never drafted. One of the best pure passers the game has ever yeah, known. So, I mean, I, I don't put a lot of stock on that. I, I look at Barkley, Goodrill, and when Tampa won the Stanley Cup, he was a critically important part of their team and not drafted. I mean, I can go down the line of all these guys, great players over time that were never drafted. I, I don't put a lot of stock in that. You know, I, I remember all the time working for Scotty Bowman and tell me the guys that the under, that's the underdog, he's the guy that's going to be coachable. He's the guy that's probably going to get better. He's the guy that's going to be receptive to information. And so you want to find that guy and try to cultivate him and work with him. And I think Canadians have done that with Arbor Jack. And, and Stefan Robidad deserves a lot of credit. He does. I think he's done some really good things. And I think the time he spent in the American Hockey League uh, with Jean-Francois Wuhl and Kelly Buckberger uh, and young coach LaPerriere, I think he, a lot of good stuff happened here. So I think that's really positive. It should make Canadians fans really excited about the future. It's incredible how the game of hockey is. Eh? Jack Eye goes down with an injury. And, um, and um, you know, Jaden Struble gets called up. Uh, they tell Jaden, you're probably not going to play. Jordan Harris ends up getting hurt. Jaden Struble ends up playing. He doesn't come out of the lineup because he's just so reliable. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, Harris ends up coming back. Struble ends up, you know, getting a little injury. Jack Eye ends up coming back. Jack guy ends up playing better, and tonight with Struble out, Jack guy takes advantage of a real good opportunity, uh, and and just plays a fantastic game like you talked about. I mean, no one's going to talk about Jack guy's game tomorrow, with the exception of that stretch pass. But Pierre, you see things that others don't, and you're right. That was a huge battle with Matthew Kachuk, and the last time I checked, I mean that guy, that guy's a lot to handle. And tonight, the only time you saw. Um, Kachuk was, you know, trying to find some of his teammates on the power play, but at five on five, not much of a factor. Great point, by the way. That's when uh, Kachuk was really lethal. Obviously, the assist on the uh, Reinhardt power play goal. But here's what really impressed me about our Arbor tonight. Set play, so right, Pierre? Set, What's set play right, Pierre? They were looking oh, for Reinhardt. Yeah, that's that's all, that's a set. Yeah. They, they've scored so yeah. many goals on that. But yeah. what I liked the most was when Rodriguez ran over Montembeau. And he did. He leg whipped him. I was surprised that that wasn't handled a little bit differently by the officials. Anyways, Arbor Jack guy is the first guy there. And I thought he was going to get in trouble because I thought he was going to flip out and do something silly. The referee did a good job getting between uh, Jack guy and Rodriguez, which was really good. But what it was, I was impressed by, even though he did that, Arbor didn't lose it. He didn't lose it. So all this stuff is starting to kick in for him. And I think that's a positive, a very big positive. The Canes, long term, when the Canes are really good, they're going to be huge on defense. They're going to be nasty on defense. It's going to be hard to get to the front of the net. So I equated to a defense like St. Louis had when they won the Cup, like Col uh, Vegas had when they won the Cup. It, it's almost impossible to get to the net for second and third chance opportunities because the defense is so big and so mobile, and that's kind of where the Canes are going right now. Pierre, Marty St. Louis, uh, with all his strengths, he wears his heart on his sleeve, and sometimes it's hard for him to hide his emotions. Uh, when his players, or Arbor Jack in particular, takes a bad penalty where he probably puts himself ahead of the team or probably doesn't play with the clock, you can tell that Marty's got smoke coming out of his ears, right? But I want to ask you about what you just talked about. So I'm sure that Marty and the coaching staff are really happy that the message to Arbor kicked in, especially tonight, and they saw control from him and a discipline. But at the same time, 
I'm sure they don't want their goalie run over. I'm sure the goalie doesn't want to be run over. I'm sure they don't want their team taken advantage of. So, you know, how do you handle that so that, you know, you play with that control, you play with that discipline, but at the same time, you don't want players taking liberties on your, on your, on your teammates. No. And I think going forward, the next time they play, remember it was Rodriguez too, that got Brendan Gallagher and yes. nobody did anything either. So that's just message sending down the road. Um, it may not happen this year, um, but that, that people will remember. And so that's a payback time at a different time. Um, but I, I think in this situation w- with how tight that game was and how hard the Canadians battled, and you got to be honest, Tony, and I know you watched it like I did, they weren't great in the second period because they were taking too many penalties, but they found a way. They found a way to hang in there, right? And, and so yeah. that's important. And I don't think any player in the third period wanted to take a bad penalty that could put their team in a, a bit of a bind. So I respect that fact. But I do think eventually the fine line is will be learned and they'll know, okay, now's the time to take a guy out. Now's the time to back off and save it for the next game. Pierre, in the second period, I thought Florida was unbelievable on the cycle. I mean, they yeah, just they're, kept on cycling. It's, they're, they're big and they're hard yeah. to contain. Yeah, I yeah, agree. They really they're, are good. Even their fourth line, even their fourth line does stuff. Like they create mayhem. Now, yeah, do I think that that fourth line is going to be elite in the playoffs? Mm, probably not. No, I, I don't think they're going to get as much time as they probably do in the regular season, and especially if they fall behind in games. But right now, I mean, you'd be hard pressed to say there's a better team at this point in the uh, Eastern Conference in the Florida Panthers. I think you'd be hard pressed to find that. You know, Pierre, when you just brought up um, Rodriguez and you said, uh, you know, they've got his number and at some point down the line, you know what I immediately thought about was when Zach Cashin ran over Montembeau. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jack Guy wasn't with the team. And the next year when he joined the team, he fought Cashin right away. Mm-hmm. And when he was asked about the fight, he said that he was made aware of what Cashin did to Montembeau the mm-hmm. year before. And mm-hmm. uh, he thought he owed Montembeau one and he owed something to Cashin. And uh, isn't that something for a player who wasn't even on the team the year before to say, you did something to my teammate last year when I wasn't here? You're going to have to pay for it now. Oh, yeah. No, people have long memories and you chart it and you remember. And this is a lot of times where leadership on the team matters. People say, hey, remember when that Marinero guy got you? Well, he's coming back here tomorrow. We're going to get him now. Payback comes tomorrow. Um, so, yeah, that happened. Now, you're not trying to tell guys to go out and, and do stupid stuff, you're, you know, but a physical play, a hard play. You know, we used to have a thing. I can tell you this, Tony, fully and freely. If you went after Mario Lemieux, I'm just telling you straight up, our tough guys at the time, whether it was Rick Tockett or – Troy Loney or Phil Bork or Alfie Samuelson, uh, Jay Caulfield, they would just go up to the other team's best player and tell them, the next time that guy touches Mario, I'm touching you. I'm not touching him. I'm getting you. So tell the guy to cut it out. And a lot of times that was enough to cut it out. Yeah, well, if Marinero ever did something stupid and there was another game, Marinero would come down with the flu. <laughs> he's not playing that game i'll tell you that right now All right you, you talked about you talked about florida's fourth line 
Um, the Canadians are down 2-1 with just a couple of seconds left in the period. And actually, Nick Suzuki beats a fourth liner. I think it was Stenland, if memory serves me well. On the, on, on the face-off, he beats him clean. And Slavkowski is able to, to fire it. Um, you take a look at Slavkowski's shot. There was a couple of times where he probably didn't get as much on it as he wanted to. But your opinion on the release on the goal? Well, that was, that was an elite release. Uh, the face-offs what impressed me because Stenland's usually pretty good on face-offs. And, and Nick just won it clean. And Nick's done a good job. Tony, you probably have the stats in front of you. I don't. I'm going to say, you know, Nick's probably a little over 50%. Um, and, and that's, you know, tremendous um, in this league in particular where he's not getting a lot of help. You know, when you look at it, they're just, you know, Jake Evans is one of their most reliable guys, I think, when it comes to faceoffs, especially in the shorthand situation. I think he's one of the best shorthand uh, centermen in the league this year, uh, Jake Evans. But Nick, Nick's been great on faceoffs, and but Stenland's had a pretty good year as well. And I think a big reason why he's in the NHL is because of his faceoff play. All right, so uh, Nick Suzuki thus far this season. Tonight was a difficult night, by the way, in the faceoff circle. But, I mean, this guy's going – he's going up against some pretty good players there. Uh, yeah. Tonight for Suzuki, I think, was um, – I think he was in the 40%. We'll try and bring it up in just a second. Uh, but Suzuki, face-off percentage, 53.9%. Yeah, so that's what I'm saying. Like that's, that's hard to do when you don't have a lot of guys around you and you're taking a massive amount of face-offs. Um, so I, I, I think he said it. Again, you talked about his offensive process. I'll talk about that. And if you look at the game, at the tail end of a period like that, the second period where Montreal was on their heels for him to win that drawback to Slavkowski for Montreal square. That was a huge energy boost for the yeah. third period. So what look, that 53.9% was before the game. And then once again, uh, obviously it was a little bit of a difficult night, so that'll go down a little bit, but it's not going to go down that no. much. All right. Okay. Back to the score sheet. If we can. Okay. So uh, Slavkowski ties it at two. On, uh, onto the third period, um, Mike Matheson drops it back on the power play. Nick Suzuki um, with the entry and draws two players to him before leaving it for Caulfield, who finds Newhook. And Newhook, obviously, with a great release pair, but the entry into the offensive zone by Suzuki and the drawing two players to him opened things up. Elite, super elite. It's It's so special to watch. Now, I know some people are going to say that's sacrilege, but there was a lot of Peter Forsberg in that play. Um, you know, Peter had this uncanny ability to gain the offensive blue line, hold the puck a little bit longer so that guys could get free. He didn't panic with the puck and, and would move it and would make everybody look like an all-star. And I think kind of Nick did that tonight in that play in particular, that situation in particular, which was really impressive, really impressive. Pierre, the Canadians' power play has had their ups and downs, but for the most part, they're having a pretty good season. Uh, they give up a few too many shorthanded goals for my liking, but I mean, they, they, <laughs> ten they of them, I think, right? Twenty ten. Ten shorthanded goals against the yes, yeah. yeah. because the Reinhardt goal that tied it at three uh, was a shorthanded goal. But um, when it wasn't working well, like the, the entire fan base was up in arms and saying, "Oh man, this drop pass back to Nick Suzuki!" Like everyone. Uh, you know, knows that it's coming, but now all of a sudden their power play is working and it's still that same drop pass. Is that 
the 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 um, entry into the offensive zone for most most teams in the National Hockey League on the power play, Pierre? Yeah, I would say probably ninety percent of the teams use the uh, slingshot. Some teams call it. So yeah, no, it's become a a fad that a lot of teams have tried to copy. Um, it really helps to have a player like Nick Suzuki that has the composure with the puck recognizes his outlets and doesn't panic when he gains the offensive blue line and skates into traffic and then makes the mature decision with the puck. So having a player like that helps a lot. Um, you know, when New Jersey's power play was at 32%, they had, the guy carrying the puck was Jack Hughes. You know, they'd slingshot to Hughes and he would gain the zone and they'd go to work and they'd just rip you apart. So they don't have 100% Hughes and they don't have Dougie Hamilton and now their power play has gone from over 30 to down by 20 you know what I mean, Tony? So it's yeah, yeah. That, that play, having that right guy bringing the puck in really matters a lot. It matters a ton. Yeah, once upon a time when he was putting up big points in the National Hockey League, and I think he put up uh, 70 points and he put up 84 points, Scott Gomez was carrying that puck into the, power, uh, into the offensive yeah. zone on the power play for the Devils, was he not? He was for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. Tried to do it here, but unfortunately, Bob. Well, Gale, no, that, so there were a lot of miles on the odometer when he got to Montreal. There were yeah, it's a little yeah. different kind of a body uh, on Scotty than compared to when he was in Jersey or New York. Not Bob's greatest move, but at the same time, nobody bats for a thousand, right? No, I just I remember that deal like it was yesterday, and I got very upset about it. And um, yeah, that's I true. I got so at the previous radio that. station where I was working, I remember that when. Bob Gainey traded uh, Scott Gomez for Ryan McDonough and then a couple of days later went on a one-day shopping spree and signed Brian Jonta and Mike Camilleri. Mm -hmm. You did not think those were wise moves. Now, I know the fan base got pretty excited because Yaroslav Halak stopped 50 shots and 50 shots in a series that you covered. I think game six... In Montreal, I think he made 54 stops. I think it's one of the best goaltending performances I saw from a Canadian's goaltender in a long, long time. So he stood on his head and uh, was it? I think it was Dominic Moore who scored the winner in Game Seven in Washington yeah. in a 2-1 win, yeah. right? Yeah, correct. Uh, I think they were outshot 42-21 or something like that. Mm. And yes, um, then they beat the Pittsburgh Penguins in seven games. And then everyone thought, "Oh my God, all these moves he made were absolutely fantastic." And then. They hit a wall, they ran out of gas, and their luck ran out versus the Philadelphia Flyers. They lost in five, and then it was all downhill for uh, some of those players and some of those moves. For a, for a long time. The thing about McDonough, and I don't know who would have told upper management this, but you know, urban legend has it that somebody in Montreal said that he was not a high-character guy. Nothing could have been further from the truth. And, and, you know, I had watched them play so much, whether it was at Wisconsin, whether it was in high school in Minnesota, whether it was at the World Junior, and nothing could have been further from the truth. And I, that, that's why I was so upset about that, Tony. I was really – I couldn't believe yeah. that they would jettison a player like that. And if you looked at where the Canes were trending with a lot of their defensemen at that time, he would have been the linchpin. He would have been the best guy they could yeah. have had. I'll tell you this, Pierre. Trevor Timmons, good company guy. He never said a word, but he was distraught. No, he he never said a word. I've talked to Trevor about it. He never said a word. You know, because when you take a strong stand like that, like I did on that deal, um, you know, some of the scouts take it personal. And I I have no problem talking to anybody. Like, I 
I did their job. I've walked in their shoes. I know what they go yeah. through. I know the, the pressure they're under. And um, I, it was nothing against Trevor. In fact, I told Trevor that when I spoke to him. I yeah. have a lot of respect for Trevor. I worked with Trevor in Ottawa. I think the world of him. He's yeah. a tremendous yeah. guy. But, but Trevor did – he having said Trevor did not want Ryan McDonough to get traded. No, no, he didn't. No, and he, Trevor well, did and not he, want told, he told me that too. So. Yeah, yeah. All right, okay. So um, Reinhardt School, shorthanded that we talked about. There's those growing pains, right? Sometimes you're Islavkowski, one step forward, two steps back. Sometimes yeah. you see two steps forward, three steps forward. But, you know, that was a learning moment for him. Um, he gives away the puck in the defensive zone, and then Reinhardt picks it up, and he takes Cole Caulfield to the outside, and then he catches Samuel Montambo dropping to his knees, and he puts it where not too many players can put it, and right under the bar, and that's a big-time goal by him, and pouncing on a mistake right yeah 100 percent, tony i don't know how much of the replay you watched that but i would like to watch that in an nhl video room because one of the things i thought when montabo moved from his right to his left to shut down the short side i thought he elevated the net up and when he elevated the net up i oh, thought really? that puck would have gone high and wide had montabo not pushed the net up so I'd like to I, – I couldn't judge it on a TV here because I couldn't go back and yeah. forth and, and evaluate it. But if I were in an NHL video room, I could. But if you get a chance, watch it. Watch where the puck goes in and watch how the, the net pops off yeah. the lower part of the of the ice. And I think if had that he not done that, I think that puck would have been high and wide. Pierre, Craig Button joined me yesterday, and uh, I love talking to him as well. And we had a real good conversation on player development. Mm -hmm. And we we're talking about Joshua Roy, who Craig is high on and wide at the truth. I, I really believe he's got the potential to be a second line player in the National Hockey League. Agreed. Um, I agree. Good. Now, having said that, Joshua Roy has been saying that he's been taking everything in like a sponge. Uh, it really helps him that he's playing with National Hockey League players. It really helps him that he's practicing with National Hockey League players. He's learning a lot over here. Um, you know, he's gaining a lot of confidence. His, his teammates speak very highly about him. He's answered a lot of question marks that there were about him. One of them was the, the, the whole grit factor and the compete. And he's been gritty and he's been competing. But at the same time, as good as it's going for him here, you have an American Hockey League team that would love to get into the playoffs, and you have an American Hockey League coach who would obviously would love to have Joshua Roy in his lineup. They're within a couple of points of the fifth spot in the north uh, to make the playoffs. So my question to you is, it's going well for Joshua Roy, but as well as it's going, he doesn't get more than 12 and a half minutes of ice time and tonight he got 839 of ice time. So what do you do? Honestly, I'd send him back. I just don't know what the other part of the plan is for Montreal, but he's a player that you want. I don't know what Craig told you, but I'm just telling you, Tony, a player like that needs to play, and he should be dominating uh, in the American Hockey League. Yeah. And, and so a dominant player like that helps put you into the playoffs um, you know, I, I, when I was working in Ottawa, we, the team hadn't made the playoffs, I think for five straight years. And one of the messages to the coaching staff when I was around him is we've got to find a way to make guys better so we can push to get in the playoffs. And eventually they did. And that coaching staff did such a great job. In fact, the guy, 
um, that's running the team now. Dave Bell did a magnificent job with all those defensemen. And Ben Sexton, who's an assistant in Ottawa now, did an awesome job. And Troy Mann, who's the head coach uh, with Kingston in the OHL, they did that. That's the reason as a coaching staff. They're the reason why we got in the playoffs because they made the players better. They told them what their roles were, and every guy got better. And yeah. I, I think that in Joshua Rawas case, that'd be the thing you'd want to see. Get them down there and yeah. get them dominating. And I, I think at some point they'll probably do that. Craig said, I take a look at the schedule and I tried to give them a little bit of both. Well, yeah, no, you'd want to do that. But the problem is they're on a four game. So they just played the first game of a four game trip. Um, the luxury you have is he doesn't require waivers. So you can just yes. shuttle them back and forth. The bad part of that, though, is let's just say you are doing that. Fatigue kicks in at some point. We're not talking about a guy that's super large. So you got to be Kemper. careful at this time of the year. Yeah. That's all I'm saying. You don't want him to get hurt. So that that's the only thing you got to – and I know people don't want to hear this term because it's a basketball term, but the load management thing on that, you just got to be careful. That's all. That's the only thing I'd say, the caveat to that. Um. Pretty disappointed with Jesse Ulan and um, Marty San Luis keeps throwing him out there because he's got good hands and a shootout. Uh, here's a guy who's not taking advantage of an opportunity, Pierre. He really hasn't. It's fair. You're not beating them up. You're telling the truth now. He hits the post today in his shootout opportunity, but you're yeah. right. Not every game goes to a shootout either, so you still got to play the first 60 minutes of the game. Um, and maybe he gets in an overtime, maybe he doesn't, but he's still got to play the first 60, and I did not see a lot from him tonight. I'm, I'm not trying to pick on the kid because I, I yeah. watched his dad play, and his dad was a real skilled player. Um, this kid seemingly has a lot of skill, but I just don't see a lot of second effort right now, Tony, and I think that's something he's got to start to show. Pierre, about, uh, what was it, um, 26 hours ago or so, maybe a little bit more, um, a trade went down between the Calgary Flames and the Dallas Stars, and Dallas ends up acquiring Chris Tanev. Uh, they end up giving up a second-round pick, a conditional third-round pick, um, and a young defenseman. Mm -hmm. Not a lot of people know a lot about the young defenseman. I'm sure that you do, uh -huh. uh, and you can tell us about him right now. But one of the things that we're hearing is that there's a couple of GMs in the National Hockey League who have a couple of defensemen they'd like to trade who aren't crazy about the value that the Calgary Flames got. They were hoping that Calgary was going to get a little bit more in terms of value. Yeah. What can you tell us about the defenseman that um, that um, Calgary acquired in deal? And what can you tell us about um, the value? Well, let's go with Tanev first. Tanev's going to go down there as a right shot defenseman. The best years of, of his career, I'm going to say, were playing in Vancouver uh, when he was helping to cultivate Quinn Hughes. He did a magnificent job, and I was really surprised when the Canucks allowed him to leave Vancouver to go to Calgary as an unrestricted free agent, I was really surprised they allowed that to happen because of the chemistry on ice and off ice that he had with Quinn Hughes. I, I just was really surprised by that. I'm not going to pretend, Tony. I, I did a bunch of his games in Calgary when I was working at NBC, and I, I would tell you that he never lost anything. So he's still a stabilizing shutdown guy. He can't. He's not very good on the left side. He's got to play on the right side. But what this does is Miro Haskinen, who's really good on the left, he's been playing on the right. Now he can move over to the left side. And Thomas Harley, and I don't know how much your you know fan base watches Dallas. He's, he's terrific. A, he's a fantastic – I know you know him, Tony. He's yeah. a fantastic young defenseman. So you put Harley now in the 3-4 position rather than the 1-2, 
and you play him with the stabilizing player, whether it's Essel Lindell, whomever you choose, because they got a lot of them, and, mm -hmm. and all of a sudden their defense is rock solid. And I can tell you right now, there are a lot of really good coaches in this league. Most of that discussion, Pete DeBoer would name would come up in this in terms of great coaches in the league. He's a really good coach. Um, so Dallas is going to be a really tough uh, out. And the one thing I would say is if you're Colorado and you're Edmonton right now, Tony, I think you're on the clock. you got to make something happen to match what Dallas has done. Now, in terms of what Calgary got, Tony, um, the Russian kid on defense is a plus player. He's a shutdown guy. I don't see him. He's a 20-year-old. He's going to be 21 in March. Don't see him being um, a top one-two guy. I see him being a three-four. That's still really good. Don't get me wrong. So they they got value there. He's not he's not a point getter. You're not getting points. So you remember when Mike Commissarek was really on top of it in Montreal? Yeah. Like when Commissarek, he was he was there was about a three or four year period where Commissarek was really good stabilizing games defensively. This kid's he's more. Yeah, Marky, Marky was very good, obviously. But, <laughs> yeah. you know, just talking about what Mike did. You know, Mike stabilized games defensively. This guy can do the same thing. He's not as fierce as Mike, but he's he's solid. He, I'm just saying, he's a solid player. Like, they didn't get overwhelmed uh, in this deal. They didn't get crushed, Calgary. They did okay. not. All right. Chris Tanev, in the final yep. year of a four-year deal, will yep. be an unrestricted free agent at the end of the season, a 34-year-old right-handed defenseman. Mm -hmm. Montreal Canadiens, you know where I'm going with this, mm -hmm. David Savard, a 33-year-old right-handed defenseman who after this year will have one more year left on his contract at $3.5 million. Once again, had a pretty good game for the Montreal Canadiens tonight, played 22 minutes and 21 seconds, and ended up with a uh, an assist uh, and was plus two on the night, a couple of hits, and he this guy blocks a lot of shots. <laughs> Does he ever? You're an a you're a GM in the National Hockey League. Yeah. Would Tanev have been your number one target at right defense? Or would it have been Savard or would it have been another right handed defenseman? Well, I would have gone after Tanev. My my of all of them, it's, I'm not talking right, left, or whatever. The guy I would target the most would be Noah Hannafin. I mean, I've been talking about it on the eye test with Jimmy Murphy since we started the show. Um, probably going back to the first show three months ago, whenever that was. And Han I've known Hannafin's game since he was a kid playing at St. Sebastian's High School in Boston. He's, yeah. he's a world-class player. He really is. Um, but I would probably have Tan have a little head of Savard. Yes, I would. Struble went there, right? Struble, Struble went there. Struble did. Struble, I Will saw Smith Struble went play. there. Will Smith? He did. Will Smith? Yeah. Yes. You got a lot. There. Mike Greer went there, the general manager of the San Jose Sharks. I can go down the and line. That, and that, yeah. that made it an automatic for him to draft Will Smith at number four, I guess, Joe, right? An American Joe, kid. Yeah, Joe, Joe Helbig, who was a first-rounder of the Edmonton Oilers way back in the early 90s. I can go down the line. There have been a lot of kids out of there. So, yeah, no, the truth is, is that uh, – I would have preferred Tanev, but I let me throw this at you, Tony. Yeah. David Savard has won a Stanley Cup with Tampa. Correct. Sergachev is out. done for the year. <laughs> I saw you coming, Some, yeah. Sometimes you want to know both sides of the deal. So yeah. Tampa would know both sides of the deal. Yeah. I don't know why they wouldn't take 
Savard back for what they need right now because they're they're just teetering right now. They got more than enough offense, and they got an elite power play. They need some stopping power in the back end. Yeah, so, you know, it's the first thought that came to my mind when Sergeyev went down with that terrible injury was, you know what, if you're going to acquire a player, who better than a player who already played for you, who knows the city, who knows the organization, uh, um, who who obviously would, would not need all that much adaptation, would be able to probably fit in like a glove. And the only thing that I thought about was, well, it's a left-handed defenseman that went down, and it's a right-handed defenseman that you would yeah, be acquiring. Uh, yeah, I get that. That's fair. I mean, that's a that's a good point. It's a fair point. I think at this point, though, for them, I think what they're looking for is stopping power and big body presence down low. And in a penalty yeah. kill situation, Savari could play left side just as easily as he can play right. You're right. I mean, that, You're right. That's not a, that should not be a huge issue on the penalty kill, and that's something they they got to have. They got to be better. Um, and they got a bunch of kids playing back there now that they're trying their butts off. They really are. I mean, I the one guy that I think has played great there this year, and I don't know how again how much people watch, but Nick Perbix has been outstanding there. He, he's yeah. had, he had an unbelievable year for a young kid. He's played really, really well. Um, so, you know, but they need bigger. They just need some veteran presence and bigger guys. Pierre, uh, two more if I can, and that is there's we got some pretty big numbers tonight. A lot of people are watching, and here we go. As you know, NHL trade deadline is <laughs> next week, Friday, yeah. March eighth, yeah. and um, and uh, a lot of people are looking at this whole David Savard thing, saying, "All right, you know, can he be the next uh, number one target for teams that are looking for a right-handed defenseman?" And you know that Kent Hughes' plan is he's trying to stockpile as many assets as possible, and the sexy one that you want is a first-round draft pick. Tanev did not get that, right. and he was the number one guy on probably most people's lists. Pierre, what are the chances of David Savard getting you a first-round pick in a deal? I don't, I don't think very good, Tony. I don't want to break anybody's bubble, but I, I – be very surprised if anybody paid him uh paid Montreal first round pick for him. So what do you think his value would be? And knowing what you think his value would be, is it actually worthwhile for the Canadians to get rid of him at whatever that value would be, or more worthwhile to hold on to him for another year? Then he's at the end of his contract. And at the same time, you can ease some young defensemen into the lineup and you can probably give them time because Savard can be here next year. He, well, that's the thing that I kind of like about the Savard situation is you can keep him. Um, there's no rush to trade him. You know, you're not going to be competing for the Stanley Cup. The coaching staff, I'm sure, has talked to the management staff about where he fits and what he does with the younger players. And if they say, you know, we need him to help cultivate the next wave of young guys or he's had a great uh, impact on Struble or he's had a great impact on a Jack guy or he's done a great job with Jordan Harris – uh, or the relationship he has with Caden Gooley, all that stuff matters. And if the reports are bad, which I don't think they would be, but if the reports are bad, then I say they're going to move him. But if the reports are good, I'd because of where his contract is, I'd be surprised if they moved him. Last one. The Ottawa centers are not trading Brady Kachuk, are they? That'd be a big mistake. I, I mean, that's Ryan, that's Ryan Whitney of spitting chicklets that threw that out there. Um, you know, yeah. former NHL player, and and doesn't mean he's right, but at the same time, uh, um, I mean, look at he's anybody want in a player, right? 
it, Wayne Gretzky got traded. So, I mean, you know, a lot of Peter Forsberg got traded. Paul Coffey got traded. Mark Recchi got traded. Eric Lindros got traded. I mean, I can go down. There are a lot of great players have been traded. You know, I, I can't see Ottawa doing that. I mean, here's how hard is it? Let me ask you this question, Tony. How hard do you think it is to get a power forward that can get 35 to 40 goals in 100 penalty minutes? How hard do you think it is it's, to get uh, that kind of player? You either have to draft that player or you have to fleece another play, another team in a trade, basically yeah. Jonathan Huberto for his brother. Yeah, you're not – it just doesn't yeah. happen. It just – that stuff doesn't happen. So Brady Kachuk and Matthew Kachuk, those are the guys you're talking about. One was acquired yeah. by trade, and the other one was drafted at fourth overall when uh, you went on the record on Montreal Radio once again, and you said with that pick, if I'm the Montreal Canadiens, and I remember you saying this, leading up to the draft and as recently as that draft day. And you said, if I'm the Montreal Canadiens, the player I would draft would be Brady Kachuk. Yeah, those, again, you watch these guys growing up and you break down enough tape and you see all the different permutations and the organizational need for Montreal for the longest time has been what? We need to get bigger. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> They could have got really big and really mean. I'm a big Brady guy. Um, I had the yeah. good fortune of being around him. And, um, you know, he's the one, if there would be one knock and it's not a big one, maybe he got the captaincy too early, but I would say that that ship is sailed and it's not too early anymore. They just have to surround him with a little bit more veteran leadership. See, I would have thought from the outside, obviously, that if Brady Kachuk would, and, and once again, maybe there's no truth to this rumor whatsoever, but if Brady Kachuk would no longer be an Ottawa senator, it's because he would want to leave. Canadian markets aren't for everybody, right. and Ottawa, with all due respect, is not for everyone either, right? And maybe I would have thought it would have gone down that way, but if the senators would trade Brady Kachuk, he's everything that they don't have. They only yeah. have him in that mold who can play that way. they got a bunch of skill. They got a bunch of talent and they got Stutzla and they got Norris and they got Pinto and they, you know, there's, they, 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 they got Batherson. They got, they got a lot of players who have a lot of talent, but nobody can play like Brady Kachuk. No, no. So the one guy in the league that I think is similar is Fetchnikov in Carolina. They're not a lot of guys. His other, you said it correctly, Matthew, one of the other guys that can do what he does. They're not a lot of guys that do that, you know? So. <laughs> You got to be really, you got to be really care, you got to be really careful when you. I know it's fun to play fantasy GM, but in the, yeah. at the end of the day, the reality is is that those guys don't fall off trees. I'll never forget this, Tony. It, it, I don't think I've ever had three bad words with John Davidson in my career when I was coaching or when I was broadcasting with him. But I will never forget the day that Joe Thornton got traded by Boston to San Jose for Marco Sturm and Wayne Primo and Brad Stewart. I will never forget that as long as I live. I happened to be in Colorado. John happened to be, I think, in New York. And Doc Emmerich was in Port Huron, Michigan. We're doing a conference call. And I said, I can't believe Boston would do that. Like, guys like Joe Thornton don't fall off trees. You know, and you look at the numbers now, it's crazy. And, you know, Joe's record when he went to San Jose was ridiculous. It was so good. And it's maybe the only time I think I've ever had bad words with JD because he was taking the other yeah. side and saying, oh, Boston, flee San Jose. I'm like, I don't think yeah. so. 
I don't Pierre, think I've so. said this story before, so I apologize for being redundant, but the Canadians played the Boston Bruins uh, at the end of that, you know, that summer before Thornton got traded. And I remember uh, doing some reporting um, for the radio station and Kevin Paul DuPont had come out with an article on the day of game seven that uh, Kevin Paul DuPont of the Boston Globe, of course, that Joe Thornton was not a very good leader, not a very good teammate and shouldn't be the captain of that team. And that's all that reporters asked about in that locker room. And they were all around Joe Thornton and his teammates had to come to his defense. And I thought it rattled the Boston Bruins. I remember calling a couple of my buddies and said, listen, if I was a betting man, I think the Canadians are going to win tonight because Boston (laughs) seems like they're rattled. And what was it? I don't know, five or six months later, you know, Joe Thornton was traded. And um, that was that was just a terrible deal, of course, just a terrible deal. Yeah, no, the big the one thing is sometimes, not always, sometimes guys get traded and they get traded and they get scared straight and they never get traded again. Other times guys just can't find it because that trade breaks them. Joe found it. I mean, Joe Joe Thornton's a Hall of Fame player. Look at the numbers. So, I mean, it's crazy. Yeah. So this was supposed to be the end of I kept you way longer than I told you I was Are gonna you keep you, so me? I apologize for that. Get, All right. I'll so say, yeah. I, I Okay, I love in ending, in ending. No, no, in ending. Yes. You brought up John Davidson's name. Yep. Is it is is he going to hire Jeff Gordon to be his general manager? In your opinion, I, I've heard this rumor before. I, I'd be surprised. I don't know. Jeff's got an amazing thing going here in Montreal. He really does. And uh, you know, Columbus had a long way to go. I mean, they've got obviously Fantilli's a really good tone. I don't know how much, again, people are focusing on Columbus right now. Fantilli's going to be a heck of a player. Um, you know, you start looking at all the, the little components they've they're started to build that Yarmo Kikalainen started to build there. They still got a ways to go, but there's some really interesting components there. But to think that, you know, you'd leave an original six team to, for a more of a lateral move, I'd be really surprised. I, I, I know it's out you there. Get, I just, you, I'd be surprised. You you get the GM title back, and you do have some really nice kids too. But at the same time, I understand your point, Pierre. Right? He's here, probably in a less pressure role, and at the same time, he and Kent Hughes came here to try and do something, and they haven't done it yet. No, but they've got to wait. Look at they knew what their plan was. They've got. I think they're all singing from the same songbook. Whether it's Marty St. Louis, whether it's Kent, whether it's Jeff. You're working for an original six team, one of the most powerful sports brands in the world. And I know you know the soccer game better than anybody. The Montreal Canes are one of the few teams in hockey that can rival some of those soccer brands. They they are. They really are. And and you've done very well because of the Montreal Canadiens. You know, think about it, Tony, where your career yeah. is. You cover the Montreal Canadiens. So all I'm saying is it would be they're hard. Putting food on the, they're putting food on my table, Pierre. They are. <laughs> But it would be hard, Tony. It would be hard to leave an original six team, and especially the Montreal Canadiens, uh, especially when you're in the middle of something that I think is going to end up being really, really good. He is Pierre Maguire of the Eye Test with Jimmy Murphy on the Sick Media Network. You check them out if you haven't already. There you have it. The guests have been absolutely unbelievable, to say the least. And the show goes, the podcast goes daily at 4 p.m. Subscribe to their YouTube channel if you haven't already. And I think, Pierre, I heard that in a couple of weeks or maybe even two weeks from today, if memory serves me well, you'll be in Montreal? 
I will be, and we're planning on having you as one of those great guests that we have on from Hurley's Irish Pub. Wow, I'd be I'd be honored, and I will definitely. Well, we be would there. be Thank honored you. to have you. We would love to have you. And uh, if the invitation has already been sent out, I'm giving it to you face to face right now. We would love to have you. Uh, I will be there with pleasure. Always so kind, Pierre, with your time and uh, with your wealth of knowledge and information. This, my friend, like I tell you all the time, was a treat. Once again, Pierre McGuire. Thank you very much, Pierre. Thank you, Tony. Right back at you. Thank you very much. All right. Thank you, Pierre. There you have it. Once again, the sick podcast brought to you by Energy Transportation Group, brought to you by Labitta TV, and brought to you by Playground. I hope you enjoyed the podcast tonight. Uh, I thought it was one pretty informative podcast with a heck of a lot of information. I hope you thought the same thing. If you liked it, like it, share it with your friends. Comment SICK, S-I-C-K, S-I-C-K, S-I-C-K. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. We'd love to have more people subscribing. We love your support. We appreciate your support. You're the SICK Army. You're the SICK community. We can't do it without you. And if you can, leave us a five-star review on Apple. It's our way of feeling the love. For Yellow Sammy and Juliana and Master Control, they're Cavallaro. I'll be back tomorrow and bring you Friday's edition of the sick podcast. Yeah, I'll be in tomorrow. I'm Marinaro. And that's a wrap. Hope you don't miss us too much until next time. Follow the sick podcast with Tony Marinaro on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Google play and Apple podcasts. The sick podcast is brought to you by energy transportation group driven to be different. La Vida TV, embrace your true nature, and Playground, your premier gaming destination.